0: Hey, we have been looking forward to this Sunday for a long, long time, especially we on the staff. Man, we are excited about today. Uh, every year we, uh, set aside a Sunday and, uh, we call it Stand Sunday. And, uh, it's a Sunday where we stand for the orphans. We, we, uh, the Bible says that's godliness, you know, is, is standing for uh, the fatherless and the widow. And that's what we do, uh, uh here at the Grace Place. And so today we celebrate, and stand with uh, with the orphan. Uh, we are so excited today to have a very special guest with us, Pastor Choco de Jesus. Uh, he pastored a great and growing church in Chicago for over 19 years. Uh, in 2013, he was named one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People in the World, uh, recognized for his leadership within the evangelical and Latino community. That's quite uh, Uh, An honor there today. He serves at our general headquarters in Springfield, Missouri, the Assemblies of God uh, headquarters. He serves as our general uh, treasurer. Uh, He's also also the author of a book, and he has brought that book with him, and it's out in the lobby. If you're interested, I want to encourage you to stop by and take a look at that. Uh, He and his wife Elizabeth have three adult children and five amazing grandchildren, and that's when life starts. Life Starts with Grandkids. Would you make our friend welcome Pastor Choco? God bless you. Come and take your liberty in the Lord today. Thank you, Pastor. God bless you. Thank
1: you. Well, good morning. Amen. I greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our Savior, our Redeemer. He's alive. He's not dead. I'm going to say that again. That's a good place to say amen. He's not dead. Amen. I don't care what you're listening to on the news. He's alive and well. And people are getting saved. People are getting baptized in the United States. And the Church of Jesus Christ is moving forward. So do not get discouraged. I want to first just kind of uh, praise the Lord for your pastor and his wife. Uh, If there was ever a time in a season to throw in the towel, 2020 would have been the year. But your pastor did not do that. Because he loves the body of Christ, he loves the local church, and, and so would you just give it up to our pastor and his lovely wife and his family? I tell you, it was a season of, uh, of uh, uncovering, and um, 2020 was that year. Let me see a show of hand. first of all. How many of you all here have never heard of me before? Raise your hand. You've never heard of me. Oh, the entire church. Father, forgive them, for they do not know. Wow. That's all right, as long as you've heard of Jesus. Yes. Forget about the jesus but Jesus, amen. <laughs> well, in lieu of that, in lieu of the fact that you have no idea who your pastor brought here on a Sunday morning, I, I want to just take a, a few minutes, if that's all right, to give an introduction, because that's only fair for you all, so that you would know that God is in the business of using unusual people. The Bible is full of unusual people. And God is looking for that man and woman to be able to pour into. So if you're here today and you are unusual, my word, you're a great candidate for God to use you. To do amazing things for his kingdom. So I was born and raised in the hood of Chicago with no father, no Jesus in my life. I was not born in the church. My father abandoned my mom with six children in the city of Chicago in Humboldt Park. Humble Park is one of the 777 communities in Chicago. Humble Park is the Puerto Rican community, if you will. It's the gateway to the Puerto Rican community. So that's, that's where I lived, with no Jesus, uh, destined for destruction for sure. Failed third grade because I couldn't read or write. My brother was a leader of a gang in Chicago, one of the meanest gangs in Chicago. So this is my story, and every single one of you all have a story. And God is able to pull from a mess a message. Come on now. It's out of that mess that he pulls a message. And so there I am, a young Puerto Rican kid with no father, destined for sure for destruction. And uh, in the 1970s, in Chicago, a riot broke out between the Puerto Ricans and the police department because of injustice. A white police officer shot two Puerto Ricans in the back, and killed them in the Puerto Rican festival. Out of that, it galvanized the Puerto Rican gangs. Brought them together for three days, y'all. What you saw in 2020 of all the rioting happening in the United States and the burning of buildings and stealing and all that, I lived that in Chicago. So go with me to the 70s for a moment. There I am with no future, failed third grade, and there was a particular store, a grocery store, on Division Street. Today, Division Street, it's what you would call the gateway. There's two flags, two Puerto Rican flags today. You don't even find them in Puerto Rico, New York, or Orlando. You find them in Chicago. And there was there on Division Street, there was a grocery store that was being broken into, and people were stealing goods, including my family. And so I remember my small mind, I remember going into the store, and I said to myself, I'm going to go into the store, and I'm going to steal me a bottle of Coca-Cola. These people are taking cases. I only want a bottle. Because in my mind, I said, if I get caught by the police, how much time can I do in prison for a bottle of Coca-Cola? Right, So here I was, going with me into the store. The windows are shattered. The the door is broken. People are running in and out of cases. They're stealing cases of good. And here I am walking into the store of this grocery where people are coming in and out. And I went into the refrigerator of that store. I opened up the refrigerator. I took the bottle of Coca-Cola. I closed the refrigerator. I may be a thief, but I have a conscience of energy. I closed the refrigerator. My mother taught me, well, boy, you better close that refrigerator. I closed the refrigerator. I walked out with the bottle of Coca-Cola onto Division Street. And then a voice said, put it back. Today I know it was the Holy Spirit. Back then I didn't know who it was. The voice said, put it back. Went back into the store. Chaos. People running in and out. I opened the refrigerator, put the bottle of Coca-Cola, closed the refrigerator, went back onto Division Street. And I remember thinking to myself, who am I? It reminds me of the prison letters of Dietrich Bonhoeffer of 1945. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, a German pastor who was killed by Hitler. And he wrote his prison letters, who am I? A few years later, the mayor, Mayor Balandic of the city of Chicago, hired thousands of young people, including myself, to clean the streets of Chicago of the summer of 1977. I get my assignment. My assignment led me to a church, 1665 North Mozart. So there I was. I take the address. There was no GPS back in the day. I took the address. There I am. Leads me to a church, Palestine Christian Temple of the Assemblies of God. I'm like, these people are Palestinians? <laughs> they want me to work here. So I walk into that local church. I go to find a supervisor, and I say, my name is Wilfredo de Jesus. By the way, choco comes from chocolate. It's nothing spiritual. <laughs> Let's move on. He just likes chocolate. Let's just move on. So my real name is Wilfredo de Jesus, Alfredo de Jesus, and I said to the my name is Wilfredo de Jesus, and I'm here to clean streets. And he says, oh, you're not going to clean streets. You're going to do VBS. VB what? <laughs> Vocational Bible school. You're going to work with children. I said, I don't care. Do I get a check? Because my mother is a single mom. I want to help my mother. He says, you'll get a check. So June, I would show up every day at that local church, and I would see the young people praying at the altar before they started their shift. And it began to resonate with me. July passed by, and these same young people, 15 years old, 17 years old, kneeling down, praying, was weird. But in August, curiosity killed the... That's right. So I went to the supervisor, and I said, Hey, what are these young people doing? He says, They're praying to Jesus. He says, Well, Fredo, do you know Jesus? I said, I don't. He said to me, Would you like to meet him? I said, I would. Where is he at? I want to talk to him. So he calls the young people and he said Young people, get in the circle. Then he looked at me and he says, Well, Fredo, get in the middle of the circle. And I said, No. Now, let me help you out here in Texas. In the hood, you never get in the middle of anything. This is called a beatdown. My brother was the leader of a gang. And if you want to join his gang, you've got to get in the middle of the circle for five minutes and get a beat down. So, No, I'm not going to do that. I said, the first guy that hits me, I'm going to hit him back. He says, close your eyes. I said, I ain't closing my eyes. <laughs> Young people started praying. A few minutes passed by, nobody hit me. I closed one eye. I closed the other eye. And I said the most simplest prayer on planet earth. I said, God, if you exist, change my life. Something happened to me. An outer body experience. I know it was the Holy Spirit. I started attending that local church every Sunday. Sunday morning, Sunday night. Back in the days in the 70s, it was church like every day. Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I started attending, as a 14-year-old, I started attending the church. So August passed by, September, October, November came, and the church was going to a district convention, a youth convention in Lansing, Michigan. They said, Choco, you want to go to the convention? I said, let's go. So we headed out to a group of us in a van, and we headed out to Lansing, Michigan. It was at a hotel. And the preacher was preaching, there were hundreds of young people. And he makes an altar call. I get saved again. I've gotten saved many times in my life. I just want to tell you. <laughs> Every time there's an altar call, I'm heading towards the altar. So I'm kneeling down, 14, go with me. This is new to me. Church stuff is new to me. I kneel down, and as I knelt down, a lady, an old lady, comes to me and begins to speak in tongues. It's the first time I would hear tongues. It's not Spanish, because I'm Puerto Rican. I know Spanish. I've never heard this language before. But then she begins to interpret and prophesy. Here's what she said to me. I've called you to be a great leader. Stay in my path. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. Not today at 57, I know that's the covenant that God made with Abraham. But at 14, I'm thinking, this is pretty cool. I don't know who she is and what she's telling me. So I remember 10 minutes pass by. She leaves. I leave. I don't know who she was. I get up. I started thinking about what the lady said. And I go into the hotel. I get into the elevator. It started resonant with me. And as I'm in the elevator, the doors are about to close. And the gentleman in the suit walks in. And when the doors close, y'all, he turns towards me. And he said these words. Have you not heard? I've called you to be a great leader. Stay in my path. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. Now I'm thinking as the husband of the lady that was at the altar. <laughs> Maybe they're in cahoots, I'm not sure. But this is freaking me out. I wanted the doors to open up of the elevator so I can run down the hallway of the hotel. But little did I know, little did I know that God was marking me, that God was essentially giving me parameters, that he was giving me a plan. And although your father didn't have a plan for you and your mother didn't have a plan for you, God was essentially saying to me, Choco, I have a plan for you. Stay in my path. He's still in the business of talking. It's with that mandate, it's with that word, that's why, listen to me, that's why it's important during COVID that you get a word from God. Because it would be that word that you would say, nothing can separate me from the love of Christ, nor famine, nor nakedness, nor COVID-19 can separate me from the love of Christ. It's with that word I leave Lansing, Michigan and I come back to the local church in Chicago and I get acclimated and I begin to get involved in the church. Every time the pastor needed something, I would do it. Today, people need to pray about it. I'm like, bro, what's that a prayer about? It's parking ministry. Just point. Just point. But today... Many Christians are not experiencing the more of God because they want to pray about it. And so I remember a few years passed by. I was like 18 years old. The pastor came to me and said, Choco, I want you to become the Sunday school teacher for the youth ministry. I said, Sunday school teacher? That's what the lady said. And the guy in the elevator. So I got my black jacket my skinny tie, back in the days it was a skinny tie. And I was Sunday school teacher for the youth ministry of Palestine Christian Temple of the Assemblies of God. Sure, there was only five young people, but so what? It's about perspective. <laughs> I was a leader. A few years passed by. pastor comes to me and says, Choco, I want you to become the Sunday school superintendent. Sunday school superintendent. That's what the lady said. And the guy in the elevator. I got my jacket, my tie, and I was Sunday school superintendent for Palestine Christian Temple of the Assemblies of God. So what? There were 68 people in the entire church, but so what? I was a leader. It's about progression. With every elevation, there's a new revelation. Come on. I was Sunday school superintendent. A few years passed by, and then I married my wife. This is a picture of my wife, Elizabeth. I don't know if they have that. This is my wife, Elizabeth. We've been married for 33 years to the glory of God. She was 12 years old. When I was 14, when I asked her how to be my girlfriend. When I came to the church at 14, I'm like, "Oh, yeah, I'm going to marry this girl." She's and so I didn't know she was the pastor's daughter. <laughs> she was a BK. And so obviously, we didn't date till she was 17 and I was 19 and we dated for five years. And, and then uh, obviously, now the pastor becomes my father in law. So my father in law comes to me one day and says, Choco, I want you to drive me to our district convention. I said, Okay. So here I am. Here I am. I'm like an armor bearer driving him. He's on the passenger side. He said, By the way, they're going to be voting on decap. I said, What's a decap? Back in the day, it was called DCAP. Today, it's called DYD, District Youth Director. Uh, I said, no, I don't want to be a DCAP. I am a superintendent of Sunday school. <laughs> he said, don't worry about it. There's going to be other young people putting their names to run. I said, no, I don't want to do that. I am a, su- a superintendent. We get to the service. First guy grabs the mic. My name is So-and-So, and I have a bachelor's degree from Evangel University in youth ministry, yada, 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 yada. They give the second mic to the next guy. My name is so-and-so. I graduated from CBC with youth ministry, yada, 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 yada. They give me the mic. My name is Choco, and I'm Sunday school superintendent. (laughs) I'm like the devil. I don't know why I did this. And would you believe that the pastors of the district of 11 states of the Midwest Latin District voted for me to become their youth pastor or DCAP. I picked up my phone, and I, looked, I, I called my wife Elizabeth from the hotel, and I said, Babe, we are the new DCAPs. And she says, What's a DCAP? I said, I don't know. I just walked right through the door. <laughs> I got to do some conventions or camps or something. <laughs> now, when I became a DCAP, I remember what the lady said and the guy in the elevator I did it for eight years, y'all. Travel from Chicago to Wichita, Kansas, Nebraska, Iowa. Because that's what the lady said, and the guy in the elevator. Eight years. 1998 comes, my father in law comes to me. He says, Choco, I'm about to retire, and I want you to put your name to become the pastor of this church, Palestine Christian Temple. I said, No. <laughs> I said, Your daughter, Elizabeth, my wife, does not want to be a pastor's wife, and I don't want to be a pastor. I just took the test to become a state trooper. I want to be a cop. I want to have a gun. (laughs) I'll be a great usher. I'll collect the offering. I'll show people my gun, motivate them to give. That's how we do it in Chicago. You guys are too nice here in Texas. And uh, he says, pray about it. I said, there's nothing to pray about. 1999 comes, I feel convicted, I go back to my father-in-law. I said, okay, I'll leave my name run under one condition. All 68 people have to vote for me. If one person doesn't vote for me, this ain't the will of God. He says, no problem, so go with me. It's July 9th, 2000. I'm sitting in the front with my wife Elizabeth. I said a prayer. It wasn't spiritual, but I did end in Jesus' name. (laughs) This was my prayer. I said, God... If you love me, give me one person that says no in Jesus' name. They collected the ballots. My father-in-law comes up to the pulpit, looks at me, says, Choker, congratulations. You're the new pastor of the church. I looked at my wife. I said, babe, did you vote for me? I thought you were the only one that wasn't going to vote for me. So i get pumped it's like god punked me and i became a pastor of this church the same church where god sent me in 1977 it would be in that same church in the same circle where i would be anointed as the lead pastor of palestine christian temple of the assemblies of god talking about the provisions of god you have no idea eyes have not seen ears have not heard mind cannot conceive what god has in store for you you have no idea there's no limits with god and it's with that mandate that i became the pastor of this local church in chicago and i started throwing the net Since I was raised in the hood, I knew that this gospel cannot be within the four walls. We cannot just keep this gospel inside. We got to go outside because there's people that are dying without Jesus. That was my mindset. And I started throwing the net, y'all. I started fishing. I started bringing all sorts of fish, black fish, white fish, straight fish, gay fish, all sorts of fish. And I said to God, hey, you just told me to fish. You clean them out. Holy Spirit, do your thing. Boy, we went from one service to two services to three services to four services to five services to 17 services on a Sunday to the glory of God. God is in the business of using unusual people. It's with that mandate, that word that I went throughout the city of Chicago reaching people One of the most liberal cities in the United States. But inside of that city, there was this light. And people were getting baptized in the streets of Chicago. I'm telling you, God is up to something. In 2002, two years into my pastoring, the commander of the 14th district came to me and said, "Uh, Reverend Jesus, we have a problem. I said, Commander, what's the problem? He said, Reverend, we've arrested 600 women for prostitution in nine months is there anything your church can do i said commander we will pray for you now i believe in the power of prayer how many believe in the power of prayer but i also believe that with revelation comes responsibility that when god reveals to you the condition of dallas texas yes we should pray as a church as grace place yes we should pray but we should also do something like this orphans sure should we pray for them we got to do something They need clothes. They need food. They need a home. So I go to my house. I told my wife. I said, babe, they arrested 600 women in nine months. That's insane. I go to sleep. I wake up the next day, and I feel like my father tells me, buy a farm. Farm? I'm in the hood. So I go to the kitchen. My wife is making coffee. I said, babe, I think my father wants me to buy a farm. She says, what do you know about farming? I said, nothing. But I do know about obedience. Because understanding can wait, but obedience cannot. And I remember I took one of my, one of our female pastors and I said to her, hey, we have a problem with prostitution in our city. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out and find me five prostitutes and ask them, how much they would charge me for one hour of service. She looks at me and she said, Pastor Choco, you want me to do what? I said, I want you to go out. Go give me five women and ask them how much they would charge me for one hour of service. So she gets in her car, travels around the city of Chicago. Two hours and a half later, she comes back with five women, Hispanic, African-American, mini skirts. They're drugged up. They're a mess. They all get out of her car. They're leaning on her car. The female pastor comes to me and she says, Pastor choka the tall one's going to charge you $50 an hour. The one next to her is 35 and the other one's 40 $225 for all five women. I said, no problem. So I go to the ladies. I said, here, here's your 50 Here's your 35 your $40. Move. We're good? We're good. One of the ladies says, what do you want us to do? I said, I want you to follow me, please. So I brought them into the church. Into the church. By the way, if this is being filmed, my wife is with me the whole time. (laughs) You know how people start talking. This is crazy. I said, please follow me into the church. And inside the church, we prepared a banquet for them with roses and candles. And one by one, I sat them down. I pulled out the chair, and I said, please sit. I bought your time for one hour. I'm going to tell you about a man named Jesus who loves you dearly. Who gives his life for you no woman is born a prostitute please sit and one by one i sat them down and we began to do ministry my wife led worship master's commission they did drama and for one hour i talked about the love of god it's in their life and and i said ladies my time is up i only bought your time for one hour they all stood up crying profusely and said preacher no man has ever treated us this way We don't want your money. Here's your money back. And since that time, we have rescued over 742 women to the glory of God. To the glory of God. Love compels us to do that. Love compels us. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? While you stand up, let me show you the next picture of my family. Go ahead and put up the tribe. This is my daughter, Alex. My daughter, Jesenia. Their are spouses behind them. My son, Pito, and his wife. All my three kids are married. They're out of the house. Glory to God in the highest. <laughs> We're grandparents. How many grandparents do we have in the house? If Beautiful ministry. God should have given us the grandchildren first and kept the kids. This is a Christmas card. This was only a picture of three seconds. I told the photographer, for the love of God, take the picture. <laughs> These kids are clueless. Look at them. So the next picture. Uh, This is Charlie Grace. This is Alex's little daughter. She's five years old, loves Jesus, dances for Jesus, sings for Jesus. Look at the next picture of Charlie. During 2020, no, no, go to the next picture of Charlie. In 2020, last year during the riots in Chicago, Charlie was feeding the police officers. Uh, This is what I taught my daughter to do, to engage culture to engage it, not be afraid. And that's what Charlie's doing, taking food to the police officers. Go to the next picture. This is uh, Reagan, Reagan live, pray for me. Reagan is white with blue eyes. So I told my daughter, Jesenia, I said, baby, when I go to Walmart or Target with her, I need to go with her birth certificate. (laughs) (laughs) Security's gonna be aisle number seven, aisle number seven. Every night around 7, or 8 o'clock, Reagan would call Elizabeth and I, my wife, and say, Mama, Papa, pray for me. She's only three years old. She believes in the power of prayer. Three years old. Go to the next one. This is James Anthony. This is Alex's little boy. He just turned two years old. He's going to be a piano player and a golfer like his father. Uh, go to the next picture. This is Dano. This is uh, Reagan's little brother. Uh, I'm declaring over his life he's going to be a mountain climber. just climbs over everything. There's nothing in his life in the name of Jesus. Nothing can stop him in Jesus' name. And then here's the last one. This is my, uh, my son's daughter, Aleah Sky. She just turned one years old. So I have five grandchildren. My tribe is not your tribe. When you think about Pastor Choco and Elizabeth, you at least can pray for us and pray for my family as we travel across this nation. Amen? Amen. Open your Bibles with me to the book of Mark chapter 12. Verse 28. Mark 20, 12, 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them, disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Verse 29. Jesus answered, The most important is, Here, O grace place. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. In other words, that you're all in with Jesus. Amen. That there is no identity crisis. You're a child of the living God. Thir- verse 31. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor, your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. To love the Lord your God with all your mind, your heart, your soul, and your strength. And then to love your neighbor. To love God, vertical, to love your neighbor, horizontal. It's the cross. It's the cross of Jesus. Love demands that of you. Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for waking us up. Thank you for the car turning on. Thank you for the visitors that are here today. Lord, I pray... That you would mess us up. We do not want to leave here the same way we came in. Yeah. Provoke us. Yeah. Disturb us, O oh Lord. Help us, O oh Lord, to love you all in and to love our neighbor all in, regardless of who they are. So we thank you. We love you in Jesus' name. You may be seated this morning. Let me tell you about a group of people, of believers that saw their culture. was collapsing around them unbelievers were taking their rights away and they became very angry they gathered together to complain about their conditions they felt demoralized and worried about their future and they wanted to fight back but also wanted god to provide us a quick solution to their problems i'm not talking about modern day america i'm talking about 538 bc when the babylonian army came into jerusalem and conquered jerusalem And took into exile 50,000 or so Jewish people. And it was during that time, during that time, that prophets started speaking. And they started telling the people of Israel, hey, you're only going to be there for a year, maximum two years. Don't worry about it. You're going to be out of there in two years. But then Jeremiah comes into the scene, the man of God, the prophet. And he says, no, they're wrong. He says, get acclimated. Get married, have children, have businesses. You will be there for 70 years. And I feel like we're, we're essentially going through that mindset here. Essentially what Jeremiah was saying, while you're living in Babylon, have a kingdom mindset. And while you're in the United States of America, have a kingdom mindset while we're here in Texas. Yeah. Nice. That we as God's people are here on planet Earth Just for a little while. You do realize this ain't your home. You do realize that we're citizens of heaven. And it's with that mindset that we should engage culture. It's a few few verses later that the Lord tells the famous verse and that we all love to quote. For I know the plans I have for you. No matter how they got to Babylon, God wanted them to think and act like people who have a kingdom mindset. No matter how we got here during 2021 and during this COVID, God wants you and I to have a kingdom mindset. Right. And I believe it's this God's word to us as ambassadors who represent our king in a foreign land. I remember going to Burkina Faso, Africa. And I get to Africa, and uh, 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 some people came from the Morde tribe to the hotel, and they said, Pastor Choco, uh, the king of the Morde tribe would like to meet you. So I got ready, got dressed. They got me in the car, they took me to the palace to meet the king. I've never met a king. So we get out of the car. He said, Before we go into the palace, there's a protocol. I said, What's the protocol? He says, Pastor Choco, whatever you do, don't look at the king. Okay. Hey, listen, I don't want no drama in Africa. I'm from Chicago. Just tell me once. Any other protocol? Yes, sit in your chair. There's going to be three chairs. Sit in your chair. Got it. So here's what happened. I walked into the palace. I sat in my chair. The translator comes and sits in his chair. Music started playing. The king is coming. I know the king is coming. Because when I came in, there was no music. I'm like the devil. Give me some salsa. Give me something. Some Puerto Rican music. But there he comes. Look at me. And from the corner of my eyes, y'all, I can see the king of the Morde tribe. He's dressed in white, sharp, sharp, white with gold trimming, and with, with the with the green and black crown, sharp. He sits down in his chair. The music stops. Then something comes inside of me. And I look to the translator. And I said to the translator, tell your king that I'm an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven and I represent the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The translator looked at me and said, you want me to tell the king what? Tell your king that I'm an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven and I represent the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Translator turned, looked to his king, and in his mode language said, Pastor Choco said that he's an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. And he represents the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And I'm looking at the translator. And what the king does next breaks protocol. He gets up from his chair, y'all. He starts walking towards me. And I'm like, oh, you're dead. You just insulted the king in his own palace. Choco, just shut up. Why do you have to say things like that? I'm like, oh, this is bad. This is bad. I didn't even say goodbye to my wife. This is not good. This is not good. And he gets towards me. He puts his hands on my shoulder and in pure English said, would you pray for me in Jesus' name? We are representatives of the kingdom of God here on earth and that you and I are to legislate his love here on planet earth. And I know that for the last year and a half or so, many of us have been feeling like we're living in a foreign country right now. But the prevailing question that every Christian may have the prevailing question is, what do we do now with this craziness, with this culture that's out there? And let me just say something to cancel culture. If you're looking cancel culture, let me just say this. You cannot cancel what you did not create. And you did not create the church of Jesus Christ. Not even the gates of hell will come against the church of Jesus Christ. But the prevailing question, the prevailing question is, what do we do? We love them. We love them. And when I say that we love them, it doesn't mean that we capitulate our convictions. We will never surrender our convictions. But we use the currency of heaven, which is love. The currency of heaven is love. Not Bible study, not prayer, not fasting. Those are good disciplines, but love is the currency. And when I say love them anyway, I mean that we affirm Their humanity, not affirm their lifestyle. Love demands more of you and me than we often want to give. Listen to me, look at me. It's easy to love a lovable person. (laughs) But what about your brother in law? (laughs) What about your sister in law? What about your son, your daughter, or your in laws? What about that person? What about them? Because every single one of you out here this morning, everybody has a them. Everyone has a them. What is love in this context? When we read that Jesus broke boundaries to love the people that many despised. His love transformed people because his love saw past disagreement, indifferences, and offenses. Loving them like this, y'all, that's hard. Pastor Choco, you have no idea what he did to me. You have no idea what she did to me. And you're telling me this morning to love them. I'm not telling you. The Bible's telling you. The greatest desire of mankind is to love and to be loved. Love is from God because God is love. The Old Testament develops and amplifies these two points love for God and love for others. Love for God and love for others. Have you ever noticed something the 10 commandments? Have you ever noticed something about the 10 commandments? 1 through 4 has to do with loving God. 5 through 10 has to do with loving others. And he gave us these laws so that we can have a way to live with one another. That these laws help us look upward and outward. Upward and outward. He gave us love as the fulfillment of the law. In Mark 12, Jesus confronted by the expert of the law, and he asked him, which is the greatest commandment? And Jesus answers by giving him not one, but two commandments. You should love the Lord your God, Texas, with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And you should love your neighbor as yourself. There's no greater commandment than these because God is love. Jeremiah 31.3 says this. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore I have continued my faithfulness to you. Love has always been at the center of God's heart. Look at me. It's his DNA. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of love. Because God is love. And everything God has done from Genesis to the book of Revelation was born out of love. First John four eight says this: Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Omg! Whoever does not love does not know God. So I was at the mayor's office in Chicago before I went to Springfield, and by the way, I left Springfield, my wife and I, in two thousand nineteen. We left Chicago to go to Springfield Chicago To Springfield Pizza No pizza We went out of obedience to the Lord But before I left the city of Chicago The mayor brought me into the office And says reverend what's the problem with the violence In the cities of Chicago And I said mayor I said mayor remember you asked me He says, what's the problem I said you're the problem You and every elected official in this country that thinks you can fix this problem with money. America doesn't have a hand problem. We have a heart problem. And the only one that can heal the heart of man is God. But you don't want to hear that. You fix the heart, the hand will follow. And the head will follow. But we must deal with the heart. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love and you're learning this morning that love is the currency of heaven and because of this love is the great commodity of the kingdom it's what keeps our relationship going that you love me and I love you and by the way I love you this morning and there's nothing you can do about it and he loves you and there's nothing you can do about that It's what keeps our relationship going, our relationship with God and with each other. This is how we can love our enemies. And if we choose not to love our enemies, then you really don't know God. Because that's who He is. Love begins with God, love never ends. He created you because he loves you. And he sent his, die, his son to die on the cross because he loves you. And he's coming back again to reign because he loves you. And he wants to live with you forever because he loves you. You get the deal. You get the deal. I got it, Pastor Choco. Love. That's right. Love. Now here's the problem that we love in two different ways. Here's the first way. Because of. Because of. Because you have a car. I love you. Because you give me money, I love you. Because you have a title, I love you. That's because of love. And here's the, other, here's the other love. In spite of. In spite of the fact that you're broke, I still love you. In spite of the fact that you don't have a car, I still love you. In spite of the fact that you burn me, I still love you. Backstab me, I still love you. Boy, that type of love is contagious. Yeah. When you love people who have done you wrong... But to love somebody who hurts you, that's hard. That kind of love is what we need in this world today, in spite of the fact. It's impressive. Because it's seldom, look at me, it's seldom seen these days in America. I'll do this for you, you do this for me. That's why I cannot love you with my love. My love is perverted. My love is conditional. But his love is not perverted. His love is unconditional. And God is looking for a man and a woman to use as a conduit, not a cul-de-sac. That we become conduits of his love in a world that's confused, in a world that's out there crazy. What do we do, Pastor Choco? We love them. Everybody has a them. Chapter 3 in my book, The Dumb is My Son. My son. He's like 16 years old at that time. And uh, it's around 11 o'clock in the night. The Holy Spirit wakes me up. Check his car. I go to the garage. I look at his car. Sure enough, I found some stuff there. Not good. (laughs) Marijuana, stuff like that. He's in a baseball team in high school and hanging around with the wrong crowd. Scriptures are true. Bad company corrupts good character. I find this in the garage, and obviously as a father, I'm like, I'm heartbroken because I never taught my son this. We don't smoke, we don't do drink, we don't even do any drinking, nothing, nothing. Despise it. So now I'm going into the house with this stuff. It's around 1130. Go to his room, turn on the light. He's waking up. Bob, what's up with this? And like every teenager, it's not mine. It's my friend's. I said, Pito, Pito, the Holy Spirit already told me it's yours. You're dead in the water. <laughs> You're dead in the water, boy. And we started going back and forth and talking, and he's getting an attitude. And I remember as a father, not as a pastor, as a father, I looked into the son, of the eyes of my son, and I said, boy, Do you think you're stronger than me? Peter, you think you're stronger than me? You have no idea what you've done. I will knock on heaven's door on your behalf. Your mother will fast and pray. We will fast and pray for you. And every night I'll come by your door and I'll put oil and I'll claim the blood of Jesus in your life. You have no idea. Listen to me, Peter. Look at me. Nothing you do can make me love you more or less. But you are in control how pleased I am with you. And right now I'm not pleased with you. You will never get me tired. It's around 12:30 at this time. You will never get me tired. You have no idea what you've done to me. I will pray. This is my room. This is not your room. The whole house is mine. Yeah. I pray for everything here. And I will come in here and I will pray while you're sleeping. <laughs> you will never get me tired. By now it's like one o'clock in the morning. I close the door. My wife is waiting in the hallway. I looked at her. I said, babe, I'm tired. She said, <laughs> Well, now he's 27, has a wife, loves the Lord, has a beautiful daughter, serving the Lord. But in my life, at that time, he was my them. Everyone has a them. A wayward son, a daughter, a knucklehead son, who decided to go a different lifestyle. Everyone has a them. What do we do, Pastor Choco? We love them. With the currency of heaven. With the currency of heaven, we love you in spite of the fact that you're a knucklehead. I still love you. Why? Because love is the answer. Romans 5.5 5 says this, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says this, For Christ's love compels us, because we're convinced that one died for all. Look at me, church. God commands and he equips. The Holy Spirit does it. So when we opened up the farm, when we opened up the farm of the women who were prostitution, I ended up buying a farm three hours from Chicago. It's a long story. One day I'll come back and preach that. But we ended up buying a farm, and it's in, in Genesee, Illinois. And uh, now that I bought a farm, I need staff person. You know, how that's, a, that's how we pastors work we just by like, I need staff now. I need somebody. I need a man and a woman, a father who could be a spiritual father and a mother to these women who are lost. So I go to a husband and wife in our church. They've been in our church for 25 years. And he was with my father-in-law. And he was with me. Anyway, make a long story short. I go to him and I said, Rico, I need you to go to the farm. He's in his 50s or something like that. And uh, Alice, I need you to go too. Rico, was a, he was a leader of the Latin Kings. He was a warlock and so forth. It's just a history there. What God did in his life and her life. I need you to go to a farm. I need you to leave your job. I need you to leave your 401 plan and your retirement, your children, whatever. His children are all grown up and your grandchildren. And he said, well, pastor, if you say so. So they got the U-Haul truck. Boom. And by the way, Rico Nales, I need you there for 10 years. 10 years. It's with that man, they, they leave to the farm, to Genesee, Illinois. Boom. They get to the farm. We start bringing in women from Chicago. We're rescuing them from strip joints in motels and running from the pimps and getting him in the church van and taking them on a three-hour drive, rescuing these women. I get a phone call. Six months later, that Rico arrives at the farm. Hello? Hey, what's up, Rico? Pastor Chuka. Pastor Chuka. Just went to the doctor. And the doctor told me I have nine months to live. I said, no, you don't. I said, ten years. You were served Ten years. Thus saith the Lord. He served 15 years, by the way, so you know. I don't care what man says. God has the last word. And so in one of those trips, in one of those trips, we sent, a, we sent a lady. a lady, she's high. She's high. She gets off the van, and she's looking around the 15 acres, and she's looking around the house, and then she goes out, and she goes into the barn, and she sees a 10-speed bike, and she's another 10-speed bike, and she begins to put a plan in her mind, and she says, I'm going to leave tomorrow morning. I'm going to steal this bike. I'm going to head back to Chicago, 182 miles. I'm going to head back to Chicago. She goes back into the dorms, and she tells one of the ladies, she tells one of the ladies her plans. Hey, do you want to go with me? I'm going to leave to Chicago. I'm going to steal the bike. Well, no. Then she goes to sleep. The lady gets up. She goes tells Pastor Rico, Rico, she's going to leave at 6 in the morning. Rico said, don't worry about it. I got this. Go to sleep. At midnight, Rico goes to the, the barn. Six o'clock in the morning, a girl comes to the barn to get the bike. She's telling my wife the story. Years later, she tells my wife the story. She says, She looked at the bikes, they had no air. She says, I've never felt so loved in my life. She ended up graduating at the farm. Her daughter gets saved. Years later, she goes through master's commission, three-year program in master's commission. Her daughter becomes a campus pastor in Camden, New Jersey, one of the worst cities in the United States, all because somebody loved her enough to take the air off the tire. Love demands you to do that. I told you that my father abandoned me at the age of eight years old, but a few years ago, we get a call, we being our siblings, I'm the youngest of the six, Hey, um, they're about to amputate Poppy's legs. They're gonna cut his legs off. We had a family meeting, so they looked to me. I'm the youngest one. What do we do? I don't know. You guys are the oldest one. What do we do? Well, here's what I do. I'm gonna bring him to Chicago. Bring him to Chicago. This man who's not been with me for 49 years. I'm eight. Do the math. I'm 57. He comes. We fly him in. He comes to my house. This man, he's in the late 80s at this time, 89, 90 years old. And there he is in the living room and I'm changing his pants, his underwears, cleaning the wounds of his legs. At this point, I have zero questions. I'm a man. I'm a grandfather. I have no questions why he left my mother. All I want him to do is to see Jesus. Love compels me. Love compels me. I can either be a conduit or a cul-de-sac. And there I am cleaning his room. Make a long story short, he gets healed. After a year and a half later, we send him back to New Jersey. A few months later, someone sends me a picture. If we could throw that picture up. My father worshiped. He's never entered a church in 92 years. Accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. He's 93 right now. 93, and there he is in church worshiping because somebody loved him to clean his womb. Would you stand with me this morning? Stand with me for a moment. Love does that. Love demands more of us. And you're here today and you have a dem and the Lord has been speaking to you while I've been preaching. He's been whispering to you, your brother, you haven't spoken to him in years. Your sister, that's your them. And all you could say to your brother and sister is, hey, I love you and there's nothing you can do about it. But we need to reconcile. We need to reconcile. Now I visit my dad, I go to, I'll go to New Jersey, go visit him. One of, probably the only one of my siblings that care about him. And it's really the love of God that compels me to do that to this man who abandoned my mom who died last year from COVID on May 9th. And so I wanted my father, before he leaves this planet, to know about a God who loves him that can change his life. You, my friends, this morning, you are that vessel that God can use to touch somebody, an orphan, a foster child. You could be a conduit or a cul-de-sac. It's your choice. It's your choice. With every head bow and every eyes closed all over this place, let me pray for you right where you're at. If you're here this morning and you would say, Pastor Choco, pray for me. I, I, I need to love them. I have somebody in my mind right now who's of them. And you're right. I've been holding bitterness and hatred and has been consuming. It's worse than COVID. Hatred and bitterness, because that's transferable to uh, many generations to come. And in just a few moments, our pastor will come to this stage and say a prayer. But if you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, this this sermon was for me. Pray for me. I want you to lift your hands quickly. Lift your hands quickly, all of those, please. Hands are going up. Hands are going up. Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. He loves you, and he wants me to tell you that he loves you. He wants to heal your heart. He can heal a broken heart. So hands are going up. Praise the Lord. Bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. I'm going to say a prayer. And then pastor will come and give us some final thoughts. But every head bowed, every eyes closed. I'm going to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you this morning. We thank you, dear Lord, for your love. Your love never fails. But this morning, there are relationships that have been strained. There are people here today that need to hear, need to be healed. There are people that need to be reconciled with loved ones. Oh, God, I pray. I pray that you would bless them. And for those who lifted their hands, I want you to repeat this prayer with me. For those who lifted their hands and those that are watching online... Say this prayer with me. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I come before you today. I'm in need of a metamorphosis. I need a transformation of a heart. I need your love to love some people who have done me wrong. Oh, Heavenly Father, give me that love. Father, we thank you of the cross for loving us on this day I ask that you heal my heart use me as a conduit to love those that are distant that are orphans that are foster children that need love I make a commitment to be that conduit in Jesus name in Jesus name Amen and amen.
0: Wow, that's what Stand Sunday's all about. And it? it's about it's about loving, and it's about helping and reaching out to others that no one else is reaching out to.